0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode forty-six of We F'd Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody, and we're here once again on our <laughs> our journey to bring to you all the times in history where we f'd up, which is ending soon.
1: Yep, we we've reached the maximum number—fifty of times in, in history where people f'd up. That's it. That's, that, all. Yep, that's all.
0: That's all. There's nothing else to look at, folks. Just kidding. <laughs> what are we talking about this time, Cody?
1: Uh, once again, the uh, the old the old standard of the British just drawing lines on maps and saying that that should be a country.
0: Once again, I'm just going to recommend that everybody go watch Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill. She covers this in uh, brutal detail uh, how the British basically just go in and ask if people have flags, and if they don't, then they take them over.
1: Uh, yeah, specifically this time in the Middle East.
0: Oh. Surprise! Yes, the British yet again messing about in the Middle East, doing specifically
1: stuff. the Sykes-Picot Agreement.
0: I have no idea what that is. I think you re- you said this last time, and I was like, I've never even heard of that.
1: Probably would learn about it in high school. No. Not me. I didn't there's learn that, anything in high Wayne school. Wayne education showing itself. Let's see here. Uh, so since the 16th century, the Ottoman Empire had dominated the Middle East. All right. At its height, the empire spanned from Morocco to Iran and from Hungary to Yemen. I have a map for you here. Ottoman is obviously in the green. Mm-hmm. So that's that's on national borders. So you see it's very large. Quite big. And for comparison, here's like the modern day Middle East. It's like Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Israel, like all this area.
0: Okay. So it used it, to be Ottoman. It incorporated quite a bit of area. Yes. Multiple bodies of water.
1: And several... Sort of what would eventually be separate countries today, and
0: and continents, honestly. Yeah, Eastern Africa, Europe, Asia, and Europe. Yeah, yep. yeah.
1: Uh, by the 18th century, however, the empire had begun to fall behind contemporary European powers, most notably the neighboring Austrian and Russian empires. Mm.
0: Yep, all the empires button up against one another.
1: Central authority began to recede from the most distant areas of the empire, with local rulers granted large degrees of autonomy. In 1832. The Ottomans were forced to recognize the independence of Greece right. after a decade of conflict and intervention by France, Russia, and the United Kingdom.
0: And that was around the same time as Macedonia?
1: No. Okay. The modern-day country, North Macedonia, wasn't a thing until 1990s.
0: Okay. Because that mind. was
1: part of Yugoslavia. Stricken from if the record. If you're thinking Macedonia, as in like Alexander the Great, that, that was like no. thousands of years ago. So.
0: Stricken from the record. Yep. Uh,
1: simultaneously, the governor of Egypt, Muhammad Ali Pasha, revolted and nearly toppled the regi- the regime of Sultan Mahmoud II. Only Russian intervention at the Sultan's request defused the conflict.
0: Wow, okay. So the governor almost took over Egypt, but Russia intervened and said no.
1: Well, he kind of did take over. He, he was marching on Constantinople itself. Like, that's how successful he was at it. But, you know... Russia intervened and kind of defused the situation, so... I see. So he's basically kind of ruling Egypt. got kind of paying lip service to the Ottomans, but he's kind of ruling Egypt for himself.
0: The governor is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Following these events, the Ottoman government initiated a series of reforms, beginning the Tanzimat period, which lasted from 1839 to 1876. Okay. These reforms were an attempt to modernize the Ottoman state and society and to create a sense of Ottomanism. Which would counteract rising nationalist movements in the multi-ethnic empire, because this is a period of time, especially in the 19th century. This is when like the national nationalist movements begin kind of asserting themselves, like a German nationalism. Um, you see, like a uh, uh, in a lot of like the uh, Balkan states, like you see Hungarians, Romanians, they're like this very ardent, like we are this, we should have our own country type of thing.
0: I see. Okay.
1: And when you have a large empire like that, you're going to have several. Different different, factions. Different uh, ethnicities. Like, you're not going to have as large of an empire like that and everybody be homogenous. Right, right. So, having it creating, like, a national sense of Ottomanism, it was a kind of way to counteract that. Be like, yeah, you're this, but you're also this thing, which is greater. So, like a melting pot thing. Kind of, yeah.
0: yeah. Only more intense, I would say. Because the melting pot thing is kind of loose, you know?
1: Uh, These reforms included... The Introduction of a Paper Currency, Establishment of a Postal System, The First National Census, Universal Identity Cards, Creation of Railway and Telegraph Networks, The Reorganization of the Military and Methods of Recruitment, Common Ottoman Citizenship, and this last one is the one I had to like, I'm like, I had to read it twice, I checked in multiple sources, I couldn't, I didn't really get too far into it because I didn't want to go down a rabbit hole, decriminalization of homosexuality. Okay. In a mid-19th century Muslim state.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's like that's something I might just, you know, pin pin pin, f- pin for later just for personal research.
0: Yeah. So, they're really trying to increase the infrastructure to make it easier for folks to travel within the empire so that they have less reason to divide themselves.
1: Yes, and it's also easier to move the military around.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. Because, I mean that's
1: that's probably the first reason, but
0: yep. The, I mean
1: I mean that's the that's the main I mean really that's the main reason behind behind the interstate system here. Oh
0: yeah, so, to land planes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, typically, when there is a rise in nationalism, there's a corresponding not not always, but there's typically a corresponding rise in militarism. Yes. So it makes sense that they're trying to Ottomanize everyone, and at the same time, make it easier for the military to increase their activity and mobility uh
1: this period culminated with the constitution of 1876 which established an ottoman parliament and initiated the first constitutional period however this experiment with democracy ended in 1878 just two years later when sultan abdul hamid ii suspended the constitution and reinstituted absolute monarchy
0: ah okay
1: so it didn't last long
0: we've got a person who was like hey no we're not doing that i'm the monarch yeah, he Listen came to the throne and was
1: like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Like uh, you do. But these reforms, while important, did not completely arrest the decline of the empire. In 1853, sensing Ottoman weakness, Russia exploited a religious situation in the Holy Land to start the Crimean War.
0: I have heard the term Crimean War, and I know little to nothing about it.
1: Uh, while the Ottomans, well, go look it up on your own time. Because <laughs> this is not its not what this episode's about. Okay. Okay. While the Ottomans emerged victorious in 1856, it only did so with British and French assistance, as well as foreign loans. Coupled with the cost of reforming the state, these loans proved to be devastating. The empire declared bankruptcy in 1875.
0: Man, you can't be taking loans against against money that you don't have. Cough, cough. United States, cough, cough.
1: Yeah. To collect on this debt, the British and the French established the Ottoman Public Debt Administration, which was responsible for extracting the debt from the Ottoman economy.
0: Oh my god. So they just were bleeding them, basically, yes. just finding any instance when they could take extra money away from them in, or, in an effort to pay back the loans.
1: Yep. At the same time, pieces of the empire began to break away or be broken away. The 1878 Treaty of Berlin confirmed the independence of Montenegro, Serbia and Romania. Three had been fighting for independence for years beforehand, but now it's like, it's really starting to lose its European territories. Oh no. The same year Austria-Hungary occupied the province of Bosnia-Herzegovina, as mentioned in episode 16, Mm -hmm. and Britain took control of Cyprus. France assumed control of Tunisia in 1881, while Britain brought Egypt and Kuwait into its own empire in 1882 and 1899, respectively. In 1908, the Young Turk Revolution forced Abdul Hamid to reinstate the Constitution and the Parliament, leading to the first multi-party election in the empire.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Shortly after, seeing an opportunity, Bulgaria declared its independence, after having been an autonomous province of the empire for the previous 30 years.
0: Okay, so the the dominoes are falling, I see.
1: Abdul Hamid attempted a coup in 1909 to reassert his authoritarian rule, because it had clearly gone so well but failed and was forced to abdicate in favor of his brother, Mehmed V. Okay. In 1911, Italy declared war on the empire. This resulted in the loss of Libya and the Dodecanese Islands the following year. These are some of the islands that are like kind of like to the southwest of Anatolia, which is where Turkey is, like Rhodes, like those islands and okay. such. The first Balkan War in 1912 to 13 saw the loss of the empire's remaining European territory, except for Thrace, which is if I show you a picture of that map. Thrace is this little orange bit here. It's a little bit of like modern-day Turkey that's on the European continent. Okay. So they lose everything in Europe but that little bit. Wow. In 1913, another coup uh, led to the coming of power of the three Pashas uh inver pasha talat pasha and jamal pasha
0: what's pasha mean
1: uh it's just kind of like an honorific like names were cut they didn't really have the same type of naming structure that we did so it would just be like their name and then they would add pasha at the end of it it's like kind of like a government official or something
0: oh okay yeah. okay gotcha uh
1: at this point the empire consists of what is today turkey lebanon syria iraq jordan israel palestine and parts of saudi arabia
0: still very big
1: still very big but nowhere near what it was losing ground the three Pashas aligned the empire with Germany, and so they entered World War I on the side of the Central Powers in 1914. Okay. We're not talking about this specifically, but as a side note, uh, these are the people responsible for the Armenian genocide.
0: Which we touched on in a different episode.
1: Opposing the Central Powers, the Allied Powers, France, Russia, and the United Kingdom, began to make plans to partition the remains of the empire. Like you do. In April 1915... France, Russia, and the UK concluded the Constantinople Agreement, which would grant Constantinople and the surrounding areas to Russia, giving them their long-coveted access to the oceans via the Black Sea.
0: Right, Because Russia,
1: famously, does not have any ice-free ports year-round, except for Vladivostok Mm -hmm. in the far southeastern corner of the country in Asia. Mm -hmm. So having a Black Sea port open to uh, open to the sea that they can get to is very important
0: also interestingly enough also important for them to have tourist areas it's another kind of reason why they, yeah. they make land moves like recently with georgia the part of the reason is georgia has you know ocean access not ocean access sea access yeah. but the other part is because it's a beautiful tourism area well
1: also constantinople the ancestral home of the orthodox church right and russia eastern it's, uh, orthodox right it's always been especially around this time it kind of saw itself as the defender of ortho- orthodox christianity so mm-hmm. uh the treaty of london the same month brought italy into the war on the side of the allies with the promise of gaining territory mostly at the expense of ottoman of uh, austria-hungary but with some ottoman held concessions beginning in july 1915, negotiations were opened by sir henry mcmahon the british ambassador to egypt With Hussein bin Ali, the Sharif of Mecca. And here is a picture of McMahon.
0: All right. Just looking like a normal dude.
1: Yep. And there's a picture of Hussein.
0: The Sharif of Mecca.
1: Yes. Hussein's family had controlled Mecca and Medina since 1201.
0: Holy crap. Okay.
1: After the Ottoman conquest in the 16th century, they were left in charge.
0: 700 years.
1: And they also claimed direct descent from the Prophet Muhammad.
0: You know, of middle eastern families that is oh yeah very likely yep they the, that patronymic li- lineage is very 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 important uh so. he
1: held the title of custodian of the two holy mosques which is very important because you are the ruler of mecca and Medina, like the ki- king of saudi arabia that's one of his subsidiary titles Yep. and because he held that title hussein held great influence in the arab world continuing through march 1916 the hussein mcmahon correspondence pledged to create an arab state out of the Ottoman holdings in the region, Iraq, Syria, Israel, Palestine, and Jordan, as well as the entire Arabian Peninsula. Wow. And I have a image here of this proposed state. So it's like one country.
0: Essentially, all of Saudi Arabia except for the south edge.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, those areas are independent countries today, right. anyways. That's all of Saudi Arabia and, yeah, those areas I mentioned. A little,
0: little teeny tiny bit of the peninsula there. Yeah. Or I mean, what's the what's the area up top in the top left that, that connects to Egypt? What's that part called?
1: This part right here? No, the white part. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, oh, the Sinai Peninsula?
0: Yeah, Sinai that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So, it's m- the majority of Saudi Arabia, like 80% yeah. of it and part of the Sinai Peninsula. Yeah. And
1: okay. Palestine and, and Iraq and yeah, so it's like it's much of the modern Middle East is would be one country.
0: But that that indicates a reduction, a further reduction in the Ottoman Empire.
1: Oh yeah. So so Absolutely. they're
0: they're they're essentially consolidating, but they're yeah. saying this is going to be our Arab state.
1: Yeah, because because yeah, I mean the Ottomans, I mean like I said, it was a multi-ethnic empire, and right. one of the biggest minorities were the Arabs. Right. So
0: so they're like, this is the Arab state. we we've lost or we'll give away the rest of this, but this is going to be the Arab state.
1: Yeah, this is what the British ambassador is promising to the Sharif of Mecca. Okay. Uh, in exchange for that. Hussein would use his influence to push the Arabs to revolt against the Ottomans.
0: Oh my God!
1: And the Arab revolt would begin in June 1916.
0: What the hell is with all of these British people? Like, no, let's make this a homogeneous ethnic state.
1: Well, cause, well, something arbitrary,
0: else. arbitrary lines that we're going to make into a homogeneous ethnic state, and that's going to definitely well, work for everybody.
1: Well, it's not art; it's not necessarily arbitrary. Okay, because this is from 1910. This is a ethnic kind of breakdown of the area okay. these blue are arabs They're like where like there's an arab majority
0: i don't know what i'm looking at what what part of the world are we looking at here I, the, the, the I same part tell.
1: i just showed you it's a little bit further north but it's pretty much the same part of the world i showed you
0: i guess i'm not understanding is it zoomed in
1: a little bit yeah
0: oh okay All so right. like
1: it's kind of showing like up here mostly
0: oh okay
1: so yeah so like these blue this blue is arabs which would be like this part up here uh-huh so so and like down here, like pretty much this is all Arab majorities in these areas. Okay. So it would largely be an ethnic homogenous state. It's okay. like the these browns are like Turks. The yellow is Kurds.
0: Okay. Right.
1: Uh these are per- like Iranians, green is Armenians. Okay. Uh so so it actually would be like an Arab majority state.
0: Okay, so so then, so what they're actually saying is, we we promise that we will create an Arab state for you, in areas that is already majority Arab.
1: Yes. Okay. In exchange, you were revolting against the Ottomans. Right. Because it you to know, further destabilize the empire. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now I'm gonna uh, introduce you to two people here. Okay. Our two F for for the episode. We have
0: two. We have two F for uppers. Yes. Okay.
1: Two for the price of one.
0: Oh. First, which is free.
1: The first one is Mark Sykes. Okay. Born on March 16, 1879 in Westminster, England, so like the heart of London. He was the son of a wealthy baronet and his wife, who was 30 years his junior. Ooh, boy. Uh, He traveled to the Middle East with his father several times during childhood. Uh, He joined the British Army in 1897 and fought in the Boer War. He was elected to Parliament in 1911. And at the outbreak of World War I, he was appointed to advise Lord Kitchener, the War Secretary on Middle Eastern Affairs. So here His name is... is just
0: so, like, he has such an American name for being a British guy, born in the late 1800s. That's him. All right, normal military man, British military dude with a mustache.
1: The other F-upper for this episode is a Frenchman by the name of Francois-Georges Picot. Okay. Uh, born on December 21st, 1870 in Paris, the son of a prominent historian. Oh. Uh, He served in various diplomatic postings prior to World War I.
0: That's weird that he's a son of a historian and he effed up. Most of the time it's like, son of a nobleman, son of a rich person. Kind of like
1: Sykes, yeah, son of a baronet, yeah. Ah, yeah, exactly. So at least we got one of them in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, just one. But Uh, no accounting for, you know, your dad.
1: Uh, And Picot was stationed in Cairo at the beginning of the conflict, uh, maintaining contact with minority groups in Lebanon and Syria. okay. Here is a picture of Picot.
0: You could tell me that that was the same dude as the last one, and (laughs) I would not be able to tell the difference. Military man with a mustache. Put a hat on that guy. That's his twin, essentially.
1: In October 1915, parallel to McMahon's negotiations with Hussein, Edward Gray, the British Foreign Secretary, and Paul Cambon, the French ambassador to the U.K., began early discussions regarding the eventual disposition of the Middle East. Gray told McMahon to be vague in his correspondence with Hussein, and, quote, if something is precise, or, or if something precise is required, you can give it, end quote. So if he asks for something, just just go ahead and promise it to him.
0: Vaguely. Vaguely, Vaguely unless he specifically asks for something, in which case, go ahead.
1: Basically, he's telling McMahon, do whatever you gotta do to get this guy on board. Okay. With the revolt.
0: Man, I hate these directions. Like, if somebody gave me that sort of a direction, I would be like, that means nothing to me. Yeah. Why don't you just come? (laughs) I need you to
1: spell it out for me in a very precise email. And if something is not mentioned in that email, I will not be doing it
0: it's yeah it's like the the vague you know the quote-unquote vagueness of it Mm -hmm. just makes me completely uncomfortable and and it's we live you know we live in a world that's totally different than this but 150 years later we've learned a lot of lessons about specificity yes and i would never be comfortable with being like uh promise things vaguely unless they ask for something specific in which case promise it because to me that would be <laughs> the start of a roller coaster of, you know, they they ask things vaguely, I promise them vaguely, and then they ask one pointed thing, and I'm like, yes, you can have that, and then they just cascade down yeah. and ask for a bunch of specific stuff.
1: McMahon wasn't privy to the negotiations I'm about to tell you about. Okay, he wasn't really, not necessarily kept in the dark necessarily, but he just wasn't kept in the loop. Okay, kind of debatable on if McMahon was purposely. Kind of leading Hussein in a certain direction with his correspondence, so like Mm. we we don't really know, or if he was kind of being genuine with it. Okay, so
0: it's hard to tell when you're just looking at writing.
1: Yeah, Picot met with British negotiators in November 1915, staking out French claims in the region, mostly southern Turkey and much of the Mediterranean coastline down to Egypt.
0: Oh yeah, well I mean it's a beautiful area, lots of Mm. tourism there.
1: In December, Sykes was appointed to lead negotiations with Picot they entered into six days of private discussions of which no record survives (laughs) conveniently
0: quote unquote private discussions yeah they're probably just getting wasted probably (laughs) just drinking themselves stupid and they're like don't we have something on the agenda that we need to complete pico well i
1: mean based on what i'm about to tell you happened that you might think they were drunk uh, this is where they F up. Uh-oh. On January 3rd, 1916, sykes Picot came to an agreement on British and French division of the Ottoman Empire's Middle East territories amongst themselves. The French would control what is today Lebanon, Syria, southeastern Turkey, northern Iraq, and northern Israel and Palestine, while the British would control what is today Jordan, southern Iraq, and southern Israel and Palestine. Much of this territory... Had already been pledged to form an Arab state by McMahon. Right. Who had been unaware say. of these negotiations.
0: <laughs> so they're like, listen, we're going to divide these up amongst themselves. Simultaneously, parallel to mm-hmm. other plans where this guy's like, no, yep. y'all have to revolt and we'll give you your yep. Arab state.
1: So I'm about to show you, so like this little map here, these areas here are what's going to be going to Britain. Okay. The blue is French. And just, you know, kick them something. The Italians get this little bit of Turkey. The Russians get this bit of Turkey. And then much of Palestine will be an international zone. Controlled by no one specific, because it's important to so many people.
0: It's It's a really large part of the Arab state that they had promised. Yeah. And ethnically, mostly Arab. Yep. Right? And that area was, with with the exception of small Kurdish areas and, and... yeah. yeah,
1: like, the Kurds would be, like, up here in this area. Right. But that but, the
0: the part that's immediately divided by French and British is going to be mostly yep. Arab. Yeah. Okay. And if you
1: notice, where they're drawing the line, the border between Lebanon and Israel today, the, the current border between Syria and Jordan, yep. much of the border between Syria and Iraq.
0: Much of the Saudi Arabian border.
1: Yep. And now I'm about to show you this. And this is literally from Picot's writings, or his requests.
0: Okay. Okay. He
1: literally just drew a line on the map from, quote, the E in Akra to the last K in Kirkuk on a map. Like that. From the last E in Akra to the last K in Kirkuk. He literally just drew a line on the map with no thought to anything else.
0: That's definitely how you need to do stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so at this time, there were no Iraqis, there were no Jordanians, there were no Syrians. The Middle East was pre- composed, mostly Arab ethnicity. I mean, there were some, of course, pockets of mm-hmm. other ones, a few of which were considered by the partition. The proposed Arab state would be relocated to just the Arab Peninsula.
0: So so tiny, tiny, based off of what Basically they were promised. Basically
1: half of what it was going to be. Right. With far less people, because much of the central Arabian Peninsula is, you know, empty desert. Right. Russia signed off on the agreement on April 26, 1916, with the French and British governments approving on April 26 and May 23, respectively.
0: What the hell?
1: The agreement was not released to the public or provided to Hussein, who was organizing the pending Arab revolt. Oh, wow. Supplemental agreements ceded northeastern Anatolia to Russia, as I mentioned on that map, and southwestern Anatolia to Italy. Right. In February 1917, the Russian Tsar Nicholas II was overthrown and replaced by a provisional government, which promised to remain in the war. On November 2nd, 1917, the British government issued the Balfour Declaration, promising to establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine. This, con- this partly contradicted what McMahon had pledged to Hussein, who was not consulted beforehand.
0: Of course he wasn't.
1: A few days later... The Bolsheviks overthrew the Russian provisional government. Yep, we got communists in here now. Oh my god. Starting the Russian Civil War. The new government under Vladimir Lenin began negotiations with the central powers to exit the war. After taking control of St. Petersburg, then the Russian capital, the Bolsheviks discovered the Sykes-Picot Agreement in the foreign office. They announced the existence of the agreement and released its text to the world on November 23, 1917.
0: This is such a mess. <laughs> this is such a mess.
1: I just think, I just imagine like some some peasant Bolshevik laborer just come going into the foreign office and be like, this seems important. Hmm,
0: It says important at the top. Yep. Perhaps it is important. That, I mean, not to imply that they're stupid or anything. Just yeah, like, it's just. It's just laying about. I, yeah,
1: I, I just imagine it's just like, just shuffled in like the inbox or something.
0: Ima- imagine too, like, okay, so you know how papers get. People can lose paperwork they or they save paperwork that's garbage or whatever. At this point in time, imagine how much correspondence is lost, mislabeled, misfiled, hmm. whatever. But yet this is the thing that gets found and, and quite possibly changes the entire sc- scope of the world. Just because somebody was yeah. like, "Um, this looks important. Somebody grabs it yeah. and was like, you know what? They send this it up the,
1: is important. They send it up the chain and the bolsters like, oh, here's one we can... Get one over on the oh, yeah, on the western capitalist scum, exactly. The reveal of a secret British French agreement greatly dismayed the Arab leaders as it revealed their supposed allies' duplicity.
0: Oh, my god, yeah,
1: but of course, I mean, it's also kind of awkward because it's like, well, we're both still fighting the Ottomans at this time, right? Yeah, it it's, creates an awkward situation. But with the end of the war in November 1918, the fate of the region. Would be decided at the Paris Peace Conference, which began in January 1919, which we also discussed at some. I think uh, episode this is an early one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember um, which episode it was exactly, but uh, the Ottoman territories in the Middle East would officially be mandates under the League of Nations to be granted independence at the discretion of the mandate holder, which in this case just so happened to be France and Britain.
0: Oh, weird.
1: U.S. President Woodrow Wilson. Oh, that's where It was Wilson's episode. We talked about Paris Peace Conference.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah yep, yep.
1: U.S. President Woodrow Wilson, who had listed national self determination as one of his fourteen points, suggested involving local leaders in any discussions, but he was overruled. Hus- Hussein's son, Prince Faisal, led Arab negotiators at the conference, but his requests and pleas were largely ignored.
0: Yeah, but he has no bargaining power at this point. He thought, "I'm going to do yeah. what's best for my region." Or what he thought was best for the region. Well,
1: uh, he has some clout because it's like you know he still has this armed Arab force.
0: Sure, so, sure. But generally, they're not. Which they're is n-
1: they're gonna they're not gonna like
0: they're gonna underestimate. Yeah, a force of people commanded by this person because they're like we're the British and the French. You just have to listen to us, and we also yeah. have the Russians. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they, well, not the Russians anymore because they're
0: they've withdrawn. But yes. also <laughs> Italy. You know, Italy, yeah, Italy gives a shit yeah. about it.
1: Uh, Faisal returned to Syria, and in March 1920, he was declared king of Syria by the Syrian National Congress. So it's okay. like these local leaders are like, we're not listening to this. We're just, no. We're going we to form our own government, and he's going to be our king. Okay. The French did not recognize his rule and force him from power the following July.
0: Surprise.
1: The British and French agreed to a modification of their zones of control, establishing the modern-day borders between Israel and Lebanon, Syria and Jordan, and Syria and Iraq. Yikes. In August 1920, the Ottoman government was forced to accept the Treaty of Sevres, which formalized British and French control over their mandates, as well as granting territory to Italy and Greece, and establishing independent states for the Armenians and the Kurds. Okay. And so it basically divvies up the Ottoman Empire. So here's what it is. So like, French have this area, British have this area. We already showed you that the italians get roads they get all the several more islands greece they get further into thrace it's like nearly all the way up to constantinople okay they were like here they're here now mm-hmm. they also get this little green area on the anatolian mainland since the russians were out they don't get constantinople anymore but it's going to be de- demilitarized it's okay. kind of like under international jurisdiction okay the armenians will get this this little area here And then the Kurds will be able to have this area here.
0: Kurdistan, okay. Yes.
1: And then the remaining Turkish state will just be there. Okay. If you remember that map from earlier that I showed you Middle East, you know that that didn't happen. Hostility to that treaty provoked the Turkish War of Independence, which, by its conclusion in 1923 with the Treaty of Lausanne, established most of the modern-day Turkish borders. The British ended up creating three mandates out of their portion. Palestine, Transjordan, and Iraq. The French created two. Lebanon and Syria. Like, these were just not things that existed beforehand.
0: Right. This is new new, new countries, essentially. Yep. Drawing borders.
1: Prince Faisal was put on the newly created Iraqi throne in August of 1921 and remained there until his death in September 1933. Uh, Iraq was granted independence in October
0: 1932. Okay. So, oh. so it became independent and then he died, essentially. Yes. Okay.
1: Faisal's brother, Abdullah was made emir of Transjordan in April 1921. Shortly before independence in May 1946, the country was renamed as the Kingdom of Jordan. So, Abdullah died in 1951, and his great-grandson, Abdullah II, sits on the Jordanian throne to this day.
0: So basically, they placated yes. the, the ancestors of... of I'm uh, sorry, uh, what...
1: Well, the, the, the sons of Hussein.
0: The sons of Hussein. So yeah. they, they placated the sons of Hussein. Yes. After, after kind of reneging on this deal, they were like, well... Yeah. How about your sons be, yeah. you know, kings of these yes. areas? Okay. Uh, sorry we messed up your plans for the Arab Empire. Or, well, or sorry we messed up your plans for the Arab state. Yeah. Your sons, though, they can be kings.
1: Hussein ruled, continued to rule in Mecca until 1925 mm-hmm. when he was forced out by Ibn Saud,
0: the founder
1: of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia.
0: Okay. All right. Which is
1: why Saudi Arabia exists and why it controls Mecca and Medina. Uh, Hussein died in exile in Jordan in 1931. Okay. The British controlled Palestine until May 1948 when Israel and Palestine were established. I am not going further into that. I am not touching that mess with a 10-foot pole.
0: Okay, fair. This is enough of a mess. Yes. (laughs) Lest we uh, enter into Israel-Palestine. Yes.
1: Nope, not not doing it. Uh, Lebanon gained independence from France in October 1945, followed by Syria in April 1946.
0: Was that because of World War II? Yes. Okay.
1: They couldn't hang on to them anymore right so the okay. Ottoman why, Empire itself
0: why would they want them anyways before you go into that why would France want Lebanon and Syria control
1: like like economic control like just to have they a state. They, they, have, they have they have Mediterranean ports they have may have
0: oil so so they're basically like we're relevant we're relevant
1: uh, yeah it's also a thing like oh no we we're, we're a big world power we have look at this world-spanning Empire we have gotcha the Ottoman
0: It's not close. It's not easily defensible. No. It's not particularly relevant to France. They fought in the
1: 50s. They fought to keep Vietnam. Right. Yeah. And they got their butts handed to them, which we should have learned a lesson from. But anyways. The Ottoman Empire itself ended in July 1923 after the abdication of the final sultan, Mehmed VI the previous November. Okay. This is where you get the modern-day Republic of Turkey. Uh, At a Turk, this is where he comes in and yeah Unfortunately, the proposed states for Armenia and Kurdistan never materialized. The current Armenian state is a fraction of the size of the proposed one and only gained independence in 1991 following the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? While the Kurds have never had an independent state with their home territory divided between Turkey, Iraq, Syria, and Iran, even if they don't get land in Turkey or Iran. There was an opportunity here, Syria and Iraq. If the British and the French were like, let's just not it, like that random line right. that Biko just drew on a map. It literally like bisected Kurdish territory.
0: Right. They could have easily they could have, made. They could have easily made it, but they said no. We're going to be greedy, and we will and, instead and gi- and divide them and not give a in... damn
1: about the local population.
0: Right. So they divided it in half and then forced them to be part of two separate territories that.
1: These largely like artificial countries,
0: and and the thing with with creating these artificial countries is that afterwards you expect we have designed this country. You must accept it. Yeah. You must accept that you and this person are countrymen.
1: Yeah. Even like like you are now Iraqi, even right. though this wasn't a thing like ten years before. And historically, yeah. Like what is an Iraqi?
0: Right. You this this isn't a thing that's existed.
1: Yeah, and it's like. Especially Iraq, it's like you have the Kurds. It's heavily divided between like a Shia and a Sunni population.
0: Right. Well, and the other part is then they say, okay, well, now you're a part of this country. Now you must be nationalist again yeah. for this country. The- then there are people that are like, hey, we didn't have any say in creating this country. And also historically, we haven't even been a part yeah. of this it's like, territory. It's like
1: the people in Western Iraq were not functionally different from the people in Eastern Jordan. But right. now they're told like, oh, no you're an iraqi and, but you're not jordanian he's a jordanian yeah you're you're not the same right when it's like your families have like traveled like freely through this land for centuries right
0: with no with no borders no no right. artificial borders and and the kurdish people i mean not to go too far into this but kurdish people were then forced like okay well you're turkish and you're not kurdish you're you're not allowed to be kurdish anymore so you have to accept this turkish yeah. citizenship yeah and then turkish people are like no we don't want the kurdish people to be part of turkey and the kurdish people well of course are like, we want their land <laughs> but we want their land and the kurdish people are like okay cool where are we supposed to go and they're like don't care not our problem i'm i'm way oversimplifying that yeah. but it's well it's the same thing with the armenians it's just incredibly insensitive yeah. and that sort of nationalism is toxic in in all regards yes. it cr- it creates strife in between people it creates strife in between countries we're all humans. We all live on the earth. Countries are made up. Sykes
1: died on February sixteenth, nineteen nineteen, while in Paris for the conference, a victim of the Spanish flu pandemic. Oh no! And Picot died on June twentieth,
0: nineteen fifty one. Wow, jeez, so, he
1: was so he got to see these parts he divided up go anyway.
0: He almost yeah. lived to see my dad. Yeah, that that's like crazy that it was that that close in history.
1: So yeah, so that's um. That was a fun topic. Uh,
0: as per usage, mm-hmm.
1: we'll, we'll have some fun on the last few. Yeah. So.
0: Well, not the 49th. <laughs> that one's not fun.
1: I don't. Well, I mean, I don't have to worry about researching it, so That's it's not. True. It's gonna be. That's it's not true. gonna be depressing for me to research.
0: <laughs> it's not really. I, I wouldn't say it's depressing.
1: Yeah. Uh, sources for this: uh, James Barr, "A Line in the Sand" from 2012. Michael Burdine, "Redrawing the Middle East" from 2018. David Fromkin, "A Peace to End All Peace" from 2009, and Sean McMeekin, "The Ottoman Endgame" from 2016. The podcast I'm going to recommend is "The Civil War." Uh, it's about the American Civil War. Very, very good. Well, well researched. Very detailed to the point where I think there's something like close to 500 episodes in, and they're only like up through the Battle of Chickamauga. Not so. It's not even close to being done. So wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite the quite the backlog to listen to, but yeah, you know, it's 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 good, it's solid. So, uh, so yeah, go listen to them. Pretty good. Now,
0: what are we what are we going to talk about next time?
1: Uh, we're going to talk about something that uh, a lot of people know about, but they don't really know the origin of it, and it's something where the effects of it are only being felt today and will certainly be felt in the decades to come. China's one child policy.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including Attack of the Final Girls, a horror movie podcast with my lovely co-host Juliet.
1: Imperfect Men, yet another Rexy Pod, rating all the Founding Fathers, from Andrew Adams to George Wythe.
0: The Drunken Pawn, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer.
1: Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris.
0: For all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOPPODNETWORK. I'm Teresa.
1: And I'm Cody. And this is We F-Tub. Have Top.